0: Welcome to the Bar and Unwanted Podcast. Today we have Rachel Cannon. How you doing, Rachel? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good. So tell us a little bit about you, who you are. Tell us about your background.
1: I am Rachel Cannon, like you said. I work for a bar and restaurant group called Ten Roof. Um, we're like a live music joint, Southern Inspired Bar Food. I've been doing the whole restaurant industry thing for about 14 years now. And now I'm kind of on the corporate side of things where not in the day-to-day grind, but I still get to play around and have a good time in the kitchen here from time to time.
0: What is your involvement with Tinroof?
1: So what I do for them is well, I'm basically one of their corporate chefs, but my actual title is backhouse training and operations manager. So I do menu development. Um I work with all the chefs on a daily basis of helping them. Control food costs, labor costs, numbers, um, helping them with training programs on a daily training, the general managers, the assistant general managers on food operations.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a good time.
0: Yeah. You're fucking good at it. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what, um, how, how long has it been that you, you've been with 10 roof? Uh, just
1: over five years now.
0: So this past November well, was five years. Oh shit. So you got six months on me. Yeah. Not much longer. I'll be, I'll be five years in May. Yeah. Isn't that a trip? Like, I mean, I a, over half of my working life, I mean, pretty much my entire career is Tin Roof.
1: Yeah, like being in the industry?
0: Yeah. and That is crazy. Serving since I was 20, and then I started with Tin Roof, and I was 23, 27 now. And that's a big fucking portion of my money-making career.
1: Yeah. It's been a big part of my career <laughs> and being in Nashville, actually. Because I've been in Nashville for just over nine years, so majority of my time has been spent with that company.
0: How would you get started with Tinder?
1: Um, funny story, actually. I was working for a like high-end catering company. I was their catering sous chef, and uh, I had a bad day at work, basically. I went out with uh, one of my best friends for some drinks, and she was like, hey, this old this guy that I used to work with is moving back to Nashville managing this new restaurant that's opening, and they're looking for a chef. She was like, do you know anybody? Like, can you think? I'm like, I can't think of anybody, and I was bitching about work. And later on, you know, it started out as one, two, then 10 drinks later, she decided to message him. It was like, hey, I think you should uh, give this guy, you know, my friend's number. And sure enough, their corporate executive chef like called me one day and I was like, who is this guy calling me like about this job? What's happening? Hmm. And I waited a couple of days and then I had another bad day at work. I was like, fuck it. I'm calling him. And so I did. And I went and met with him. And it was like an hour and a half long interview. And we just had a lot in common. And I took the job and. Started working for them, and slowly but surely. Oh, that's well. Yeah. That's slowly it. but surely, I just kept working my way up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You guys are uh, strikingly similar in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I don't know if you've just sort of developed that over the years working together, or if that was just sort of inherently your natures.
1: I think it was just kind of there. Like, um, we have a lot in common. We both worked and lived in Italy for a while, and so we had that in common, and that's kind of like, it was like a big part of our a uh, conversation piece during the interview process. Mm. So. Oh
0: shit. Yeah. I've always found the best interviews that I have, like in ways sort of aren't interviews. It's sort of like shooting the shit. And yeah. Just
1: literally just good conversation.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's the best. Yeah. Like I, I hired one girl, uh, that works for us now, currently bartending and serving. And our interview, it was like loud upstairs. So we went in the basement and we just chit chatted. And like by the end of the interview after it was like 25 minutes, and I was like, I don't know anything about where she's worked before. I don't know anything about her bartending. <laughs> I was like, but whatever, I could teach you how to bartend. You're cool, and just brought her on. Sure,
1: that's half the battle in this industry.
0: After <laughs> after I hired, I was like, so do you know how to bartend? <laughs> do you actually know what you're
1: <laughs> doing? here? I don't know.
0: I was one of those. Uh, I was one of those that uh, I'm not gonna say lied on my resume. Yeah. But I definitely embellished, stretched the truth a little my bit. Experience, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, high-end bartending in, in Boston was, you know, how I described it. But it was actually outside of the city in, like, an Italian trattoria. <laughs> it was busy, but it was, like, busy with linguine and pasta and shit and, yeah. and martinis nothing so like, like that. So
1: you're, like, making martinis and pouring wine, yeah.
0: <laughs> not
1: not slinging drinks, tinner style.
0: Yeah, I showed up. They were like, yeah, plastic cups and uh, fireball. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I'm all about that. I can do this. <laughs> I was like oh shit <laughs> what the fuck is this <laughs> what were you doing so Tim Roof before that you were working at another joint how did you end up in Nashville because that's not where you're from
1: no originally I was born and raised in Arkansas and then I went to college in Arizona and then went back to Arkansas um that's actually how I got in the industry I moved back home after a car wreck and I'd lost my scholarship I played golf in college and um after like two months of being home, my parents were like, all right, you got to go back to school or you got to get a job, like figure it out. And, um, one of my best friends, Tracy was like working at this restaurant and she was like, we're hiring hostess. Just come up here and get a job, like to get your parents off your ass. And I was like, all right, fine. So I did. So I started out in the industry as being a hostess Mom then started serving slash like we bartended and then, um, ended up becoming the general manager of the restaurant and my office was in the kitchen, and so it was constantly, like, I would, my door was always open, you know, and, like, whenever i get busy, I'd constantly just, like, go and end up, like, jumping on the line and, like, helping the guys cook and stuff. I was like, man, I really like this. And so that's kind of how I got involved in the industry. And then after, I was there for four and a half years, and um, they decided to sell, and they made me an offer to buy. And I was, like, 24, I think, at the time. And... I was like, what the hell am I doing? I'm not buying a restaurant in 24. Like, why am I even having this conversation? And so then I was like, you know what? I really want to cook. Like, I grew up cooking with my mom and my grandmother. I loved it. And so I decided to apply for culinary schools, and that's how I ended up in Nashville.
0: Yeah. So did you go to, to culinary, culinary school?
1: school? I did, actually. Um, yeah, I went to culinary school there, graduated, and then, um, like I said, I went and lived and worked for a James beard Awarded chef over in Italy for a little while and then came back to Nashville.
0: Oh, shit. Yeah. So why did you just make the jump from being the GM to getting back into cooking specifically? Was it purely love of cooking, or were you really not into, like, the the GM thing?
1: No, I loved, like, the whole... I love... I actually missed the whole face-to-face part of it sometimes. I was always the chef that would, like, come out and, you know, go, like, touch tables. Like, I always wanted to go talk to people because I liked that aspect of being, like, the whole job in itself. Um... But I just, I just really had a passion for cooking, so I just stayed in the kitchen.
0: Oh, yeah. I think that's super useful to, to your sort of where you are in your success that, you know, it's because I feel like oftentimes people who are backhouse focused are so limited because they are so backhouse focused. Yeah. They
1: and backhouse, it typically, unfortunately, backhouse staff always gets bad rap. It's always, like, the kids that are out there. I mean, you've seen it. Like, it's always the kids that are out there that are struggling, you know, that are into drugs and all this stuff. And it's just like, oh, they just wind up in the kitchen cooking food. So it definitely makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, so many people, they have a tough time understanding, you know, because as, you know, me being the GM of Tin Roof, I'm in, you know, over everything. Yeah. You know, I'm not the front of house guy, which I think a lot of back house kind of has that misconception that the GM is, like, the charge of the front of house. Yeah. But it's like, I have to have my hands in everything from yes. you know the dishwasher to the line checks to the bartenders, to events like everything in there. And I find myself limited because I can't cook shit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know numbers, I know leadership, I know management, I know communication. Like I, you know, I can have a hand in it, but my weakness is I can't get hands in there too much.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it comes with the chef title of, you know, having the ego and things like that, unfortunately, nowadays especially. Um, but yeah, you're right. They definitely are like, oh, you're just supposed to be out there. And it's like, no, they are the general manager. Like that means everything. And sometimes that, that gets misconstrued for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's an important thing to, to keep in mind. But yeah, I've always loved when, you know, the chef will walk out and talk to people and touch tables because, you know, most people, they might know, You know, they might know what couscous is, Mm -hmm. but they don't know couscous like you know couscous. Yeah. Or, you know, just something like I tell a story about our Nashville hot chicken a lot. When Chef Will brought up Chef Ryan, they tried all the Nashville's hot chickens in the city. He sent it back to Orlando (laughs) and he had to sit on that airplane (laughs) with 10 pounds of Nashville hot sauce just stirring up his gut. Oh, that was hilarious. Just like interesting things like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, saw so I really respect that. That's cool. I never knew that about you. Yeah. yeah. So, your friend got you in just because you needed a job, moved up the ladder, and then kind of got into uh, got into the cooking side, and now you uh, you are where you are now. So, what do you think are some common misconceptions? I guess back out specifically, but you know, in terms of the restaurant industry overall, like what what do people not understand, or you know, what are people often wrong about?
1: Back out specifically um, that being a good chef gets you laid all the time.
0: <laughs> People think that?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it's always that. It's like, oh, you're a chef. You're, you must be getting laid all the time. Hmm. It's like, no, that's not really how that works. But, yeah, it's like the new hot, sexy job these days, you know, I didn't career. Know. Yeah, it's like everybody's drooling over chefs these days. But yeah, no, it doesn't always get laid.
0: The sweaty person coming out of the um, kitchen making <laughs> a french fries and the grease stains. I guess so. I
1: don't know what <laughs> it is about it. But um, no, I would say biggest misconception overall is that I think a lot of people um, think that whenever you say that you work in a restaurant or whatever, is the life in the working day is compared to all these like reality restaurant TV shows that are out there nowadays. I think that's how people think it is. And... It's not by any means, you know, it's the grind. It's a day to day and it's a hard job. And I mean, it's, you know, 16, 18 hour days with no breaks. And, you know, you see on TV, it's like, oh, yeah, these people are like hanging out and they work for two hours and then everybody's drinking and having a good time. And that's obviously not what goes on.
0: Yeah. And being on your feet. Yeah. It's not a desk job. It's brutal. Fucking means. Yeah. I think that's. That's interesting because I think TV has instilled this image of so many, not just our industry, but industries in general, of how they actually, how they show them, showcase them to be, Mm -hmm. but how they actually are is entirely different. I mean, you can make that same argument for a tattoo shop. Yeah. You know, um, music specifically, like American Idol, like it's like music is not you go in front of some people and they tell you you're good or not. And then you go honor you like, yeah it's like
1: okay here's my career like they decided that yeah exactly that's a that's a prime example
0: yeah like that's not how that's not how music is like Dave Grohl talks about that and he you know he says that specific thing where you know it's not going in front of some people and them telling you good enough he goes music is you getting in a garage with some of your friends playing some instruments and being really fucking bad and then you keep playing and you get less bad and you get less bad and eventually you're good he's like and then you become Nirvana because like that's how Nirvana started we were the biggest band in the world Yeah. Um, but it's, I've never heard that story. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. It's different how, how that showcases. So you've, you know, you front of house, back a house, everything in between. What are some of the craziest stories that you've, that you've encountered in your long tenure in the business?
1: Um, one of the funniest ones was a firing moment, actually. um, I couldn't find this guy. I couldn't find this cook for a minute. I thought he like went out back to go smoke a cigarette as all the majority of kitchen staff does. Cause that's kind of the only time you get a break. But, um, I couldn't find him for a minute and I was looking like all over the restaurant and I looked out back and I couldn't find him. And I went to open the walk-in cooler door. This guy is literally standing in there. He had taken a bell pepper and hollowed it out, <laughs> put some aluminum foil in there and he is smoking weed Oh, shit. Out of a bell pepper, she's just standing in the walk-in. <laughs>
0: just Holy shit.
1: Ten feet away from the line. <laughs> like, anybody could open the door. Obviously, I did. And as I was going in there to get food, and I wasn't looking for him. And sure enough, I, just, I was speechless. I was like, dude, you got to go. <laughs> and he was oh, like, really, chef? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you got to go. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> that was one of the just most what-the-fuck moments, I think, that I've ever had. I was just dumbfounded
0: by it. Did he expect to get fired?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> like, he was actually kind of surprised by it.
0: He should have uh, ripped a hit and just told him to go back to work, Yeah, man. right? Hey, man. <laughs> I'm one of the few
1: um, that actually don't smoke in the industry. Kind of comes with the industry, but it's just not my thing. I'd rather just sit here and sip on my
0: Tito's and soda like I'm doing right now. There you go. Yeah, I mean, you spoke about, you know, the industry and and people who are in the back of house specifically. And uh, I've been wondering that for a long time. I know front of house. I know why front of house attracts the kind of people that it does. People who are outgoing, you know, are out at bars a lot. So they want to work where the party is. They yeah. want to make money because bartenders, you know, make sure. fucking great money. Um, you know, those are sort of no-brainers. But the back of house, you know, I think it attracts a certain type of person. Mostly, and I've been trying to figure out why not everyone in the back house by any means, but you know, kitchens tend tend to be a magnet for sort of the people on the on the margins,
1: more of on society. the delinquent side of Delinquents, things. Yeah. I've never really been able to understand it myself, um, but it is always – it's it's something – it's, like, whether it was somebody who wasn't the brightest in school or somebody that got in trouble with the law. Um, for some reason, it's just, like, that type of person and just that it has that, set, that mindset of kind of – not I don't care about myself, but um, – you know, they're not scared to get in trouble and kind of, like, venture out in the world always just kind of somehow attracts to kitchens. And I think it's maybe because the type of job that the kitchen offers, you know, it's a decent paying job. If you're smart enough to be able to read tickets and, you know, learn how to slice a tomato the right way Um, and, you know, saute a pan of vegetables, then it's kind of like, well, you can do this job, you know. Mm. Most kitchens don't drug test, so um, it's some. It just kind of is one of those things that I don't know. I've never been able to figure it out. But I mean, even even someone like take like Anthony Bourdain for example, obviously amazing world, you know, renowned chef was huge inspiration to a ton of people. I watched a documentary one time where he straight just came out and said he was like, you know, I wanted to be addicted to drugs. Like I liked that i went into work and then after we got off shift like i went out and got fucked up and drank and did cocaine and like he just openly admitted like he wanted to be addicted to it so it's i'm not sure the type of person that it is that attracts and what it is about it but it's there's definitely it's a certain breed of people for sure Mm. and not everybody is i don't want to put that out there that every single chef or cook is out there pulling cocaine and, you know, shooting up heroin and doing drugs because that's not, yeah. (laughs) Um, Cause that's not the case. And I think it does take a really strong person to not do that and still
0: be successful at your job. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Something that I think of is I think it's one of those jobs where, you know, you kind of touched on it. It doesn't matter if you flunked out of school. It doesn't matter if you've, you know, what you've done, if you are willing to work hard, then you'll be successful. Yeah. You know, so that's not true in the world of finance, right? No. You, know, you can't go to finance. I work really hard. It's like, well, you kind of, you got to have a You got to know
1: something, yeah. Yeah, you
0: have to know these things. You know, if you're looking at a server, you know, a server might want to work really hard, but you, you have to have a personality. You got to be able to talk to people like that as a... Hey, you
1: got to be outgoing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a certain skill. You know, in the kitchen, you don't, it's a lot of... It's sort of like bar backing in the, in the restaurant industry where you, you know, you put your head down a lot and you just bust ass you and you work. Yeah. So that's why I always liked bar backing. Like right. I loved bartending. I love what I do now. I love bartending, talking to people, you know, getting to know them and having fun goofing around. But bar backing, it's just like you're fucking working.
1: Man. Yeah. You're just you put your head down and you go. And for, you know, three, four, five busy straight hours. And then at the end of the night, it's like, whew, all right, it's over. And now it's time to clean up. And then go get some drinks and do
0: it all over again the next day. Yeah, your body's busted, but your mind isn't as much because, you know, when you're bartending, there's a lot of a lot of mental that's going on. You're taking, you know, up to 15 drink orders at a time. Remember what people got, remember your pours, recipes. Uh, but, you know, that's, talking to people is exhausting. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it fucking beats you up. So when you're not doing that, it's just your body, and, yeah, you're broken by the end, but you know, oh. mentally I think you're a little bit more sound. Sure,
1: one hundred percent agree with you on that.
0: So, what do you what do you love about this industry? Like, why have you you know you got in it? You stayed in it for a while. You know, what's your favorite thing about it?
1: um I think all around, my favorite thing is the like family environment that this industry creates. Whether I've never met you before in my life, but you know, all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, I do the same thing, or I'm a chef, and they're like, oh, I'm a bartender. Like, it doesn't have to be a chef. It's good chef, it can be whatever server, dishwasher, like you're in the industry together and it's like you know the battles that you go through on a day-to-day basis and you know how much fun it can be at the same time but i just feel like every restaurant that i've ever worked in has always been some type of like its own little family and i feel like just the industry overall kind of just creates that persona and i, I like that that's cool
0: yeah the camaraderie yes yeah we're all in this together yeah uh, yeah yeah i like that a lot too you get it, you know, it's it's different if you're at a mom and pop kind of place versus, you know, Tin Roof where we're sort of national. I mean, you're, you know, you're hands into 17 different stores?
1: Yeah, eight, 18.
0: 18 different 18. stores? I don't know.
1: I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> then we're about to open two more. Yeah. So I'm like, I think we're going to be at like 20, I think. Yeah. I think with the Senate, I think we're at 18 with
0: that concept too. Gotcha. Yeah, so you—I mean—you have this expanded family in so many cities. It's
1: everywhere, and I tell anybody that's listening that works at Tender if I forget your name, I'm sorry. There's a lot of you <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, I know. I always feel bad whenever I go into like a location and do site visits. Um, they're like, "Oh, hey, Rachel, how are you? and I'm like, "Hey, how's it going?" And I'm like sitting there, I'm like, "What's her name? What's their name? What's their name?"
0: Mm. But don't feel. Too obviously, bad. I remember all the managers, yeah. so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't forget you. You're like James, not Jake. close <laughs> Four and a half years ago friends That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, don't feel too bad because I'm sure, and I know this conversation gets had, hey, Chef Rachel's coming into town, yada, yada. So I'm sure when they see <laughs> a random person back there yeah. chopping shit and coaching, I'm sure, they're like, that must be Rachel. Yeah. So maybe you haven't met all these people. Yes, that's true.
1: I know. And then they, like, create this whole vibe of, for some reason, like, half the people are scared of me, and I don't know why. They're like, no. oh, you're Chef Rachel? And I'm like. Yeah, what's up? How's it going? And they're like, oh, it's nice to meet you. And they're all nervous. And I'm like, why are you like this? I don't get it. I think it's just the title. I think the chefs scare them. Mm. I think our chefs that we have, they, like, scare it into
0: their cooks. Maybe, hey, everyone P's and Q's. Yeah. Chef coming in. Yeah. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure just the title of a corporate person is just intimidating to a lot of people. Like, one thing I love about us is, like, it's when, quote, unquote, corporate comes into town, I'm not sweating. I'm oh, shit, you know, I got to, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, well, I should be doing, like, what they would expect me to do, I should be doing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So if corporate coming into town scares me, I should probably be better at my fucking job. This is true.
1: I'll agree with you on that. You
0: know, I should be like, yeah, we got to move this, move this. This needs to be clean. Like, it should be clean every day. And
1: Yeah, no, whether somebody's coming to check on you or not.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hey, I feel like oftentimes it's, it's not a let me come in and look for something to harp on or bitch about. Or yeah, no, that's on. not
1: the point. The point of it is to have support and give you guys support and help you. And that's what we're here for. Yeah.
0: I you know. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, because there's only so much that that we can do. Like, any, you know, anytime we add someone, like, added an IT person, you know, add, add these new. That was huge. Yeah. And, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> you know, add these new positions, brand of content manager, you know, creation, whatever it may be, uh, it helps. It takes a little bit off of my plate so that I can do sure. other shit that other people can't do.
1: Yeah. Like so. DJ.
0: Like DJ, exactly. <laughs> I can't DJ, so... <laughs> hey, you guys, I'm actually not that bad. You gotta see me some time. <laughs> Hashtag Chromatous. What, uh, what is one thing that tends to frustrate you about working in this industry?
1: Um... I would say lack of knowledge. Um, When people are just not willing to learn and grow their knowledge about cooking, you know, it's like, if you want to be a cook, then be a cook. Um, It kind of reverts back to that whole kind of the type of person, the caliber of person that you get in the kitchen. Um, Some of them, you know, they want to expand and grow their mind and continue to learn. And it's, that's amazing. It's like go pick up a book, go read a book, learn, work um, kind on of knife skills, you know, things like that, and try to expand. But the ones that are just there for a paycheck is frustrating because it's me being somebody who in my role is my job is to train and teach people. That's what I want to do. I, I love doing that, and it excites me whenever – I go to teach somebody something, and then like I see that light bulb go off. Mm. I'm like, yes, you know, like that that feels good. Like to make that progress with somebody and like see them grow. And when someone's just, you know, not there, just not in it, and it's like nobody's home. Hello, mm. <laughs> you know, that's frustrating because it's like you're putting time and effort into it, and they just don't give a shit.
0: Mm. I think that's a. I think that tends to be a disconnect from the people in leadership positions as to those that that aren't. Is you know usually if you're in a leadership position and you know in your position it's not just being at work that you've learned and you and I discussed this when we were at lunch earlier. Every you know everything that you know, everything that you can coach people on, isn't all from being at work. Right. Right. It's from culinary school. It's from studying. It's from doing research. It's from reading. Uh, so I think people like you do that it's 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 natural to, to do these things cuz you want to get ahead. You want to stay ahead of the curve. You want to be a competitor in the field. You know, you want to be as valuable at your job as possible. Yeah. And I I think that same way. So I sometimes get frustrated and I'm like, well, "Why don't you want to? C- come on, man, you know, cuz you want the don't, best for you. You want to
1: succeed. Like, come on." Yeah. yeah. And I yeah, I'm constantly I feel like I'm constantly doing research and development of some sort. Um like I said, reading books, like cookbooks, all day long. It's starting to become a collection at this point. I'm buying more books fast, quicker than I can read them. Um, but yeah, you gotta just continuously teach yourself and work on yourself, and to grow. Otherwise,
0: you're just gonna flatline. Yeah. So if someone wanted to be in your position or a similar position. You know, if they wanted to do what you do, would you recommend going to culinary school? Would you recommend a different route? Like, what do you you think people should do?
1: I think it's a case-by-case basis. Um, I'll give you two examples. Myself, I was the one that took the culinary school route. Um, I went to culinary school, and like I said, I went over to Italy, and that taught me a ton. Um, Working and studying under a chef of that caliber taught me a lot. I almost want to say it taught me as much that I learned in color High School. Um, and then I continued to, you know, go and work, and I climbed up, the, you know, the ladder just like anybody else. Um, but then you take somebody like Will, my boss, who's our corporate executive chef, he started out in the industry as a dishwasher. And he's, he's taught me... I can't I mean he's taught me so much in the industry as well uh just about cooking techniques like classic stuff you know that I thought I would have learned in culinary school but I didn't and it's just because of the array of places and chefs that he worked under you know he was one of those people that wasn't going to give up and he was kind of he speaking of um you know the type of people that cook he was, like, a graffiti artist all over, like, Philly and, you know, he was just being a little delinquent. And then he went and started washing dishes and then slowly started prepping and then he was a sous chef and then he became an executive chef and so on. Um, and he worked for, like, Mario Batali and he, a bunch of famous people he worked under. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it depends. I think kind of going back to the misconception thing, too, is of how do you get there? A lot of people, I feel, they're just like, oh, I'm going to go to culinary school, and then I'm going to walk out, and I'm going to be a chef of some like fine dining restaurant. It's like, no, that's not how it works. You still have to go climb that ladder. Um, I went, after I got out of culinary school, I was working at a uh, high-end country club where like, Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman were members at, and uh, there was a chef there, and he was amazing. I learned a lot from him at that time, but like he was the old-school chef where it's like, throwing saute pans you know at you and like cross and it's like nobody wants to work in that environment but that he was that old school mentality of that's how kitchens were and they're not like that it not, well some might still be but most of them aren't like that anymore um the but i think changed big time, oh so. yeah <laughs> um but i think the best thing that you can do is like i said you have to research you have to read books you you have to work on your skills um and you just have to climb the ladder it's not. It's not as easy as just going to culinary school and walking out and being like, "Oh, I'm a chef now." You know, you got to go work in the industry. You got to put your time in. I, I still true. have a ton, you know, to learn myself and continue to grow, and still there's still ladders I want to climb. And I will, but it's going to take time.
0: Yeah, it's like college. Yes. You know, like you don't just come out of college for the most part and just hop right into top dog in your field. Like I got out of college and I st- started a band and I started serving at a restaurant. And then, you know, I'd, I think college helped me in some ways, not for the, not for the money I spent.
1: Yeah. They didn't
0: help me in that many <laughs> ways. I am
1: right there with you.
0: So if anyone wants to buy my bachelor's of science degree, it's a hundred bucks, Yeah, <laughs> 50% off for friends and family. Uh, there you go. But yeah, I mean, yeah, what I do now, you know, being a, a GM and you know it's my main gig but you know I do this and I DJ and I have a few other little side things that I do. But uh I didn't learn that in school. I yeah. I had to go out and I had to to learn it on my own. And the biggest thing that the biggest thing that college taught me, I learned on the rugby field. Huh. Because when I started playing rugby, I started learning a lot about myself because when I started I wasn't playing at all. Like, I was, like, the sub for that guy that would constantly get hurt, my good friend Tim. And if he had just rested his foot for one game, he would have been fine, and I would have never seen the light of day. Yeah. He just kept hurting it, so I played, like, the last five, ten minutes. And, you know, learning, well, fuck, I'm the stinky kid on the team now. Like, what, what, what do I have to do uh, to get there? And I, you know, I worked it, and, you know, I became a, an able rugby player, but I also became a leader. Yeah. And that's where I learned a lot, because leadership teaches you more than any... Any book can teach you, unless it's a book on leadership, Um, you know, any degree can teach you. um, It teaches you a lot about yourself and it teaches a lot about other people, your strengths, your weaknesses, how to bring out other people's strengths, how to capitalize on those in spite of their weaknesses, you know, while trying to keep your weaknesses in check and work on them. And I think that that leadership is, is super crucial. How big of a role do you think leadership plays in your job?
1: Um, I think 100% it is the main part of my job. If I'm, I can't imagine with with having 17 chefs that, you know, I talk to on a weekly basis. Um, if I wasn't showing good leadership skills and, you know, trying to be there for them and show them literally to lead the path for them, um, I, I wouldn't have my job like that. It's pretty much my job, you know, is to, to train them and lead them and coach them on a daily basis. I mean, I, I think that a lot of them need that too. Like I said, um, you know, we have a lot of chefs and they, they are doing really good and they've, they're at a great point in their career right now. Um, but you still always need help. I feel like you, I, I always, I'm always reaching out to somebody and, you know, looking up to somebody. And I feel like throughout your career, whatever it is, even if you're at the, the high point in your career and you feel like you're on top of the world. I feel like there's somebody that you always are reaching out to, to like help guide you and lead you. Mm. I feel like, I don't know. Leadership is a huge thing. It's important.
0: What are the biggest leadership skills? What are the most important leadership skills uh, that you think a, a leader in general, but a, uh, a chef specifically needs to possess?
1: Trust. I think is a huge one. Um, If you can teach somebody to trust you and, that they show you um, that they have trust in you, then it makes you want to be do better. Um, I think being hands-on with somebody and not just constantly kind of like telling them, like actually take the time to sit with them and show them, I think that goes a long way.
0: Trust and being hands-on, I think those are super, super important. Because, yeah, as you said – You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you can cut a fillet, but if you can't teach someone to cut a fillet, then you're going to be cutting fillets your whole life. Yes. Like John C. Maxwell talks about it. He talks about the law of the lid. Like your potential is limited by your leadership lid. So the higher your lid, the further you can go because, you know, you're going to get to a point where you can't do everything. You're supposed to do things that only you can do. Yeah. And as you grow, that list becomes shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. But if you want to get there, you have to, you know, you said them trusting you, but you trusting them, I think, is super important. Yeah, you know, if you're not there, you know, guiding them, showing them the way, way, and then trusting them, not micromanaging over the shoulder, constantly worried, then if a mistake is made or coaching needs to be, you know, needs to happen, then it happens. But you trust them.
1: Absolutely, I think accountability falls is a big one that falls into that as well. Um, We recently had a chef retreat down in Nashville brought all of our chefs and we had a guest speaker and he he called it the um it was like the he called it like the mom rule basically it it was like if a plate like getting getting your team on board and everybody told each other accountable and it was like they would call mom on each other so like if there was like somebody put up like a sloppy plate of food in the window you know it wasn't too spec how it was supposed to be like the other cooks would like call mom on each other and be like mom because, like, are you going to serve that to your mom? Like, no, it's not 100% perfect. It's not to spec. It's not how it's supposed to be. So holding, building a team of people that are going to hold each other accountable, I think that's, that's a big part of it, too. I
0: agree 100%. So if anyone out there wants to reach out to you, if they want advice on, you know, the industry or they just want to, you know, reach out and tell you that they love you and they appreciate <laughs> you, um, what is the best way to reach you?
1: Um, I would say probably my Instagram handle. It is Rachel Cannon 715. Um, That's probably the best way. I reply back to messages on that quite often. Hmm. And there's a lot of food pictures on there stuff like that too. So go check those out. Rachel Cannon 725? 715.
0: Rachel Cannon 715. Yeah. Cool. At Rachel Cannon 715. Now to end the podcast, I was asked two questions of my guests. So if you could only drink one Drink the rest of your life. What would it be? Alcoholic um, drink.
1: Okay, I was like, oh my god, wait, yeah.
0: not like water, like <laughs> orange juice. Like you know, no matter if it's you're at brunch, you're getting fucked up in a bar. Yeah, you just after work, you can only have one. What's it going to be?
1: Man, if sugar did not affect my body, I'm going with Jack and Ginger all day long.
0: Now this is what you drink, isn't it?
1: Oh, well, it's what I used to drink. Now I'm basic bitch and drink Tito's and
0: soda, but truly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. What you could do is flavored vodka. You could do a pipe bomb with flavored vodka in a truly. You would smash that.
1: That's intense, but I might be up for trying that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> your, one, your one drink is blueberry stoli pipe
1: Tomorrow bomb. Tomorrow after opening day, that might be happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We might, need, we might need that. Secondly, if you were to open up your own bar or restaurant, what would you call it?
1: Um, it would actually be a butcher shop, like a high-end butcher shop where you—actually, I don't want to give away my idea. Not... I have a good concept going in my head right now, so—but um, I think I would call it O and S Craft Butchery and Gourmet Market. O and S. Keep an eye
0: out. Do you know? Can you divulge what those stand for? O and S.
1: O O is for Owen and S is for Shepherd. It's my two nephews. Hmm.
0: I like that O and S. You wanna to go to ONS. I'm a family
1: clinic? I'm a family person.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I like that. Yeah, keep it yeah, keep an eye on in a few years for O and S <laughs> and some concept that we can't know about. <laughs> Hopefully. We'll see. All right, Rachel. Thanks for coming on.
1: Absolutely. It was fun. Bye. See ya.